0: Welcome, everybody. Again, if you're a guest, glad you're here. Welcome to all you kids that are here today. Let me hear from the kids. Where are all the kids at? woo uh, Big kids. I see the big kid over there waving. And a welcome to those of you online that are watching. We're glad you're with us. I tell you what. Hey, these last few weeks have been nuts, just been nuts. I literally think almost every person I've talked to has just been screaming busy and they've just been uh, like borderline tapping out from all the events. Uh some of the things I've been hearing about experiencing myself as well. We've got, you know, schools almost out, so there's tests, projects, band concerts, award nights, proms, graduations, which means graduation parties, family coming out from out of town, dance recital, sports practice, games, people are working around their house and yards more, staying up late watching Cavs games, I'm just just saying. And, uh, and after last night, maybe you've added a flooded basement to the list, you know, that you have to mess with. I mean, just look, life's busy. Life's busy. Life's chaotic. And I know for me, in those moments, man, I start to get, you know, tired. I start to get distracted. Sometimes my uh, time with the Lord suffers. You get cranky. You just, you know, the pace of life gets crazy. And so right now, in this moment, we are collectively pressing pause on the chaos And we're just coming here today with an attitude of worship. We're here because we're grateful to a good God. We're here to to learn and to grow and to be. So let's just breathe. And let's just take in what God has for us today. You know, as I uh, spent time studying this week and preparing for this message, what broke through all the noise and all the chaos for me was just a reminder about how loving God is and how faithful God is and how good God is and how good the gospel is. We've been talking a lot about the gospel as we go through this book of Romans. And the gospel, there's a bigger definition here on the screens for you, but the gospel in a thumbnail is basically the good news of the forgiveness of our sins so that we can be made right with God through our belief and faith in Jesus Christ and through his death on the cross and through his resurrection. That's the gospel. And the gospel is so good. And so as we go through this book in Romans, we're going to focus on the gospel. And uh, I think about what we talked about a few weeks ago. We talked about needing that gospel transformation in our life. Pastor Joe shared a couple weeks ago about how we're, we're bad by nature and we, we have a desperate need for the gospel. Our, our friend, uh, Rabbi Eric Lakatos, was, was with us last week. He talked about how the gospel leads us to a place of repentance. And as so I kept reflecting on the gospel, I kept thinking about Romans chapter 3, where we're going to be today, here's the thought that just kept hitting me over and over and over again as I was in this place, is that Jesus did for me what I could never do for myself. Man, Jesus did for me what I could never do for myself. That's why we're here. That's why you're watching online because Jesus did for you what you could never do for yourself. And if you're a follower of Christ, you get that. You understand what I'm saying. If if you're not there yet, if you're still searching spiritually, um, you know, you're trying to check out, you know, things, maybe you're thinking that's not why I'm here. I'm here because, you know, I want to hear more about God or want to hear about the Bible. Some of you are saying, no, I'm here because I've got a drug problem. Someone drugged me to church this morning, you know, and I just got to be here. Let me assure you, the reason you're here today is because God wants to put on your heart what he's put on my heart this whole week, is that Jesus did for you what you could never do for yourself. And that's really the big life message that we're going to just kind of put everything on today. And when I think about that, it's like, well, first off, what did Jesus do? Well, he made us right with God. Well, it leads us to think, well, why why can't I make myself right with God? Why can't I do it? Everyone say sin. That's why we can't make ourselves right with God, because we have sin in our life. Well, then how did Jesus make us right with God? Everyone say substitute. He was our substitute. We'll talk more about that in a minute, what that means. Well, if we have sin and Jesus was our substitute, then how can we be made right with God through Jesus? Everyone say surrender. (laughs) We got to surrender. We got to surrender. And those are the three big words we're going to, we're just going to wrap everything around today. Like, like those are three words that just, we're going to drive home man. it's a great um, capturing of the gospel. It's a great capturing of Romans chapter three, where we're going to be today. sin. And substitute and surrender. And so I want to invite you to open up your Bibles with me right now to Romans chapter 3, or you can uh, fire up your Bible application. Some of the verses are going to be uh, on the screens as well. Now, we're going to focus on these three words of sin, substitute, and surrender, and we're going to rally our hearts around this understanding that Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And so that's where we're going to go today. Now as we're approaching Romans chapter three, I really just want to do a, a paraphrase, a summary of the first 20 verses, because the first 20 verses of Romans chapter three really are continuing the themes that we see in Romans chapter one and Romans chapter two. It's a contrast between God's holiness and righteousness and our unrighteousness, and our sin, and our rebellion. And that because God has given special and uh, general revelation, that we're without excuse. And God's made himself known to everybody by what he's created in the world, by what he's put inside of us in our conscience, by a special uh, revelation through uh, the coming of Christ and through his word. He, he selected um, a unique people group the the Hebrews, the Jews, Israel, and, and he gave them a unique blessing of God's word, the law, his rules coming through them. But even those laws and rules mean nothing if they're written on stone and they're written on parchment, but they're not written on our heart, right? Like you can have Bible verses, you know, everywhere around you, but if they're not in your heart, man, they don't, they don't do you any good. And so so really, when you look at the condition of man, we're accountable to God and we're without excuse. This is really the theme that we see as you go through the first 20 verses of Romans. But then we're going to find ourselves in in Romans 3, 21 through 31, and two words break through. Just like those dark, gloomy storm clouds, like the ones a lot of us saw yesterday. You ever get that where the dark clouds are there, and all of a sudden the sunbeams come flooding through? I love that look. And these two words are like sunbeams flooding through the darkness. These two words are like a clap, like, hey, Pay attention because here's the situation. Man, it's bad news. It's sinful. You know, there's sin. There's righteousness, unrighteousness. And then verse 21, we find ourselves in Romans chapter three, verse 21. And what are those two words that, that snap us to attention? But now. But now. It's like God saying, look, man, it's bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news. But now I want to give you some good news. And so join me in Romans chapter three, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart From the law, that's God's rules, the Old Testament law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith, For we hold that one is justified by the word. Every time he, By the way, every time you said that we're justified, I want you to think made right with God, okay? We are justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since God is one. And he will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Let's pray. God, thank you that we have the privilege, we have the freedom to walk in here with the Bible and open it up and learn your word and see your word and study your word and grow from your word. And God, that is our heart and prayer right now that we come here not just for information, but transformation, that you would change us because of the time that we spent sitting under your leadership, under your teaching. So God, speak to us through your word. May the Holy Spirit be our instructor today. As we spend time in these pages, we ask in Jesus' name, we all sit together, amen. So back to our three summary words. If we're to summarize those verses with those three words, let's just unpack those a little bit. We have to start with sin. We have to start with sin. What is sin again? Sin is basically the falling short of God's standard of holiness and perfection. It means to break God's rules, right? God's laws. And we know that sin originated through the first man, Adam. He was the first rule breaker, and because he rebelled against God's laws, he stained the whole entire race of humanity with sin. We're all born with sin. Uh, If you back up in Romans 3, and we look at verses 9 through 12, look look what it tells us in Romans 3, verses 9 through 12. What then? Are we Jews any better off? Not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Now there's a ray of sunshine for you. You're all bad. (laughs) That's what we were reminded about a couple weeks ago. Basically what this means, it doesn't mean that we don't ever do good things. It doesn't mean we're not capable of doing good works. Obviously we do. But when you understand this verse theologically, what it means is that mankind's mind and heart emotions, our wills, corrupted, It's broken because of sin. What it means is that we've been corrupted and we are incapable of pleasing God with our human effort. And we are incapable of pleasing God just on human effort. And so we come down at Romans 3.23, just, it just puts it in a snapshot, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's so important for us to understand that sin is a falling short. God, God's standard is perfection and holiness when we fall short. When I see that, instantly what comes to my mind is me as a fifth grader. I'll tell you what I did as a fifth grader. I would go over my grandma's house often, all right? And all grandma's houses have different fun things. Some have swing sets, playgrounds. My grandma had big trees. I could climb in the backyard. She had a cookie jar that, that I have now. It's in my closet. I got grandma's cookie jar, you know, after she passed on. And um, she also had a chin-up bar in the hallway. And so... Uh, you know, I'm a fifth grade boy, man. I'm trying to do, and I'm trying to get, you know, some muscles on me. I'm just skin and bones. So I'm jumping up there and hanging on that thing. And I had to use this little ottoman, you know, to, 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 to jump up and reach it. And so I, I did that and I, you know, I'd mess around. And then one day I'm like, this is getting kind of boring. Let's mix it up, you know? So I backed the ottoman up a little bit and I jumped and grabbed it. I'm like, well, that was easy. So I backed it up some more and jumped. That was easy. Pretty soon, I'm all the way at the end of my grandma's hallway on this ottoman. I'm thinking I've got a Superman cape on or something, man. And I jump with everything I have. And I reach for this bar. And my fingers grab it and then slip. And then bam, I'm right on my back in my grandma's hallway. And I just start bawling, man. You know, I'm just crying. And, and uh, I found out I broke my shoulder, OK? Broke my shoulder jumping for a bar. Grandma had no mercy. She was like, you just got a Charlie horse. Get up. And I'm like... <laughs> I can't get up, Grandma. It's not a charley horse. Something's wrong. (laughs) Man, that's us. When when we try to please God by being good, by being moral, by by going to church, by doing all that religious stuff, you know what we're doing? We're jumping for a bar we can't reach. We're going to always fall short 10 out of 10 times. God's bar is perfection. God's bar is holiness. And we all fall short. Maybe it's a little bit like this, man. Go to Cedar Point, and they all have those little, like, you have to be this high to ride this ride. It's like every time you walk up, and if you're too short, you can't get on. Look, we can't get into heaven because we can't meet the line. We fall short. That's the understanding of sin is that we fall short. If we were to capture this with a movie line, it'd be from the Nights tale when it says you've been weighed, you've been measured, and you've been found wanting. This is This is the understanding of sin. And then we see in verse 27 a great reminder, a very humbling reminder, that we're reminded that man, we have no pride or boasting. We can't, we can't be prideful or boastful about anything we have to offer. We've got nothing to bring to the table when it comes to God because of our sin. And even though um, God gave the law and God gave righteousness through the law, the law, the rules, even rule-keeping can't justify us. It can't make us right with God. You know, he tells us that in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, He says, yet we know that a person is not justified, right with God, by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So when we think of law, we think of morality, we think of good works, we think of God's rules. Here's the bottom line. The law showed us God's measure of righteousness. And Jesus was God's means of righteousness. All God's law does for us is reveal just how bad we are. It makes us aware of our sinfulness. And so we have sin. This is the theme that we've been seeing now for, for weeks on end. So then, why do we have this emphasis on Jesus? Why, why when it talks about faith in Christ, and, and why do we see this emphasis in Jesus? Well, that takes us to our second word. We need to understand, substitute substitute. I'm not talking your substitute teacher kind of substitute. I'm talking the one who takes your place kind of substitute, all right? Like tomorrow, I'm going to find myself in a dental chair around noon. I'm getting two of my wisdom teeth yanked out. I would love to find a substitute right now (laughs) for someone to do that on my behalf, but I'm just going to have to go through that. And so when you're talking about substitute, you're talking about someone who takes your place. And the substitution is a huge part of trying to understand the gospel and your need for Christ. I mean, think about it. If you break the law, you have to pay for your violation. There's a price to be paid. The price of our sin is not just physical death entering into the human race. It's spiritual death. It's an eternity apart from God in punishment. That's the, the, the price of breaking God's rules and breaking God's law. And if God did not punish, God would not be righteous. You know, there's such a movement of people like, well, God's not gonna punish, God's just a good God. Yes, God is a good God, but he's a just God. And and man, you gotta look at both sides of that coin. He's loving on one side, he's just on the other. And if he wasn't going to punish, then he wouldn't be righteous at all. He has to be a punisher to be righteous. And God's holiness and his justice demand punishment of our sins and of our violations of his holy standard of falling short from that bar and so because of our sin, God's wrath is aimed at us. I don't know if you've ever had something aimed at you that, that was gonna cause pain, you know? But, like, but God's wrath is aimed at us because of our sinfulness. We have to understand that. That's so important. But that's when Jesus subbed in. <laughs> Jesus became our substitute, and he placed himself in the path of God's aimed wrath at us on the cross. That's what Jesus did. Look at Romans chapter three again. Look at verses 23 through 25 with me. We're reminded again, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Jesus, being our substitute, by putting himself in the path of God's wrath, was an act of propitiation. And some of you are thinking, what is propitiation? Some of you are about to find out with the help of some of our beloved fellow CVCers. So uh, with this video, let's find out what some other people in CVC think propitiation is. Today, we are going to be asking people at CVC to read and pronounce the word propitiation and to define the meaning of the word propitiation. 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 Proposition. Propitiation. Propitiation. Would you say it any differently? Is it is that it? Propitiation. 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 Propitiation? Propitiation. 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 Okay, and could you define it? What does it mean to propitiate? I almost want to say like something that kind of continues to propose <laughs> yeah it's a propaganda definitely the art of props maybe like a lot of props to use in a video i feel like i should know is it the propitiation for our sins it's christ's sacrifice for us christ's sacrifice on the cross became um our payment for sin That's good, man. (laughs) Man, understanding propitiation, that, that there was an act of God through Christ to appease, to satisfy God's wrath. Jesus being our substitute did that for us. And so we understand specifically the atoning death of Jesus Christ on the cross accomplished satisfying God's just wrath on our behalf so that we may be made right with God through faith in Christ. Uh, Theologian Wayne Grudem says this in his book, Systematic Theology, says, propitiation is a sacrifice that bears God's wrath to the end, and in so doing, changes God's wrath toward us into favor. That's good. If we were to capture what Jesus did for us, this whole concept of the substitution and propitiation in a movie line, it'd be from The Hunger Games. I volunteer as tribute. (laughs) that's, That's what he did for us. He took our place. And so Jesus, as our substitute, is an act of propitiation, of giving himself to satisfy God's wrath. And so he's paying the price for us. Like, like kids, imagine this. Kids, imagine you broke the rules at school. And you had to you know, get a detention or a suspension or something. And one of your friends at school said, you know what? I'll do it for you. I'll take your detention. It's like, Wow. That would be them substituting themselves, being an act of propitiation. Or maybe uh, you're at home and you break, you break mom and dad's rules and it's time to get in trouble. You know, you need a spanking or a grounded or timeout. And your sibling says, I'll do that for you. I mean, not like that would ever happen. But <laughs> if a sibling loves you enough, perhaps, um, they say, I'll, I'll, I'll take your time out for you. I'll take your spanking for you. I mean, what is that? That's being a substitute. That's an act of propitiation. They're taking the punishment of the violation on your behalf so you don't have to feel the pain. That's what Jesus did for us. And we see that language all up and down here. You know, we're, we see it in other places too. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, it says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not just for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 4.10, in this is love Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Voluntarily, God came in person and took the payment of our sins himself. He died so we could live. And he did that as our substitute. And so we have to understand that. God's full justice demanded full payment. Jesus paid it. And full. You know, one of the things that's helped me understand uh, this whole concept between sin and and Jesus being our substitute is is this illustration. Like, here we are here, and here's God. And He wants this relationship with us. And we started in this relationship, but sin broke it. And now we have this, you know, distance between us and God. And imagine if every sin we ever committed was written in a book. Every wicked thing we did, thought, every time we, we knew the right thing to do and chose not to do it. And so let's say all my sins were, were written down in a book. Wait, that's, not, that's definitely not going to work. Let's try something a little different here. Okay. And this is just volume one. <laughs> um, if, if all of our sins were captured in a book, that our sins are the barrier between us and God. They stand in the way because God's holy and God's righteous and God's just. He has to punish sin. Well, we're bearing our sins, so therefore we are objects of wrath because our sin is upon us. And out of his love for us, God said, I'm going to come down in person. And on the cross, God nailed all of our sins onto Jesus. Then Jesus became the object of his wrath. I mean, when you look at this passage, it talks about, in his forbearance, God passed over former sins. Does that mean God just turned a blind eye and just forgot about sins? No. God stored up sins for generations to come and generations in the past. All sins, all time, past, present, future. What you've done, what you're doing, and what you're going to do, all put on Jesus. He became the target of God's wrath on the cross. He substituted himself, an act of propitiation. And then when he died, he put those sins in the grave, rose from the grave, vanquishing the eternal punishment for those. And now nothing stands in the way of you having a relationship with God. Nothing stands in the way of you being made right with God, except you receiving the fact that God did that for you. It's our third word, surrender. In order to have that relationship with God, you have to surrender. You have to yield. You have to say, I believe. Here's what's so tragic. is if Some of you will live out the rest of your life with this barrier gone, and you'll stay distant from God. You won't surrender. You'll just just move through life like this. It's available. It's there. But you've never chose to believe. You know, I'll do that someday. Maybe when I'm a little bit older and closer to death. Oh, really? You've got that on your calendar, do you? Good luck with that. It's all done. It's all paid for. And all you have to do is surrender. You know what I love? I love this language here. It says, that God's, um, it's a gift. By God's grace, it's a gift. You know what just irritates me? Uh, the religious systems that teach you that you have to earn your way to heaven. You had to do certain religious uh, rituals, certain incantations, certain practices to, to work off your sin, to earn your way to heaven. Because when you understand what these verses are saying, Jesus did it all. You can't pay for anything. We're not capable of paying for anything. It's a gift. Like, man, isn't it awesome when you get a gift? And I, I love giving gifts. It'd be so weird to like give a gift to someone. Like right now, the gifts are being handed out left and right, graduations, birthday parties, weddings, babies, everything. You know, hey, hey I just like you. Here's a gift, whatever, you know? You give a gift and like, oh, let me pay for that. And pull out the wallet to give you money for it. You'd be like, that's weird. The gift is just to be received freely. You don't pay for it. Nor would you say like, hey, I'll come over to your house and work it off. You might be like, well, come on over to my house and work with me. That'd be great. But you don't have to work off a gift. Do you realize that when we buy into the thinking that we have to try to be good to earn favor with God? And we've got to do religious things to be in favor with God? That's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to pull out our wallets and say, God, I'm going to try to pay you off. And he's going, what are you doing? I gave you a gift. His name is Jesus. And all your sins are put away. And all it takes is to surrender. And look at the words that we see here that talk about surrender. Look at the words that are captured in this understanding. Look at Romans three twenty-two. This is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who what? Believe. How do you surrender? You have faith in who Jesus is and what he did on the cross. And you believe in that. Let's continue on. Look at, look at uh, to verses 25 through 26 again. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness Because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And all of the religious systems try to get you to work your way to God when God gave you a gift, and his name is Jesus. All you have to do is surrender. And how you surrender is to believe in faith that Jesus took care of everything on the cross for you, that he was your substitute. I mean, you think about it, it's kind of madness to think, I'm not going to let Jesus be my substitute. I'm going to carry everything myself. I mean, don't you realize that when we get sucked into trying to be a good person and and, and earn our way to heaven, you know who your Savior is at that point? Yourself. You're trusting in yourself. If I can just do enough, if I can just somehow make recompense for the things I've done, I can do it. Man, I don't know about you, I make a lousy Savior. (laughs) I need Jesus. Jesus. So you have to turn from trusting in yourself and trusting in whatever little system to turn to trusting in Jesus alone, exclusively as your substitute, the one who took it on the cross for you to be made right with God. And it's an act of surrender. Some of you are missing out on the most beautiful relationship you could ever have. You are missing out in this intimate, powerful relationship with the living God who made you and knows you. And he's got a purpose for your life that would blow your mind, but you're missing out because you won't surrender. Some of you, you know Christ, but then you start to wander away. And you're not walking a surrendered life. You're making it complicated, and you're drifting. Now, I love what uh, a, a pastor and author from the mid-1900s, A.W. Tozer, said about this. He said, the reason why so many are still troubled, still seeking, still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. We're still trying to give orders and interfering with God's work within us. We're not surrendering. Those first two, sin and substitution, that's knowledge for the head and heart. But the surrender, that's the action for us. We've got to come to a place of surrender and live for Christ. What does that sound like? I love what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. This is what surrender sounds like. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the sound of surrender. That's the sound of someone who understands sin, substitute, and surrender. And so when you put all that together, what do we walk out of here with? Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. We could never take care of our own sinfulness. Jesus did it. And that should change the way we live. That should change the way we, we interact in, with every person and we filter every experience. It should change what we want, how we define success, changes how we enter into relationships and what kind of relationships we pursue, how we use our money, how we use our time, how we use our resources. Because Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Here's how we're going to, close in that understanding today. We're going to do something real special and significant by expressing this understanding through what's called the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a special time where we get to remember Jesus as our substitute, who died for our sins so that we can live surrendered. (laughs) That's really what this is. And we proclaim him as our substitute, and we proclaim that he's coming back one day. You know, and here's what we see is Jesus did on the night Before he died, he gathered his disciples together to celebrate a Passover meal. And this is what he said. And we see this from Luke 22 today. He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we celebrate Jesus as our substitute and the, what he made new through his body and blood. Now, as we prepare to share this time, a couple things we need to clarify. This is a time for believers. This is a time for people really believe this. So if you're here today and you have not um, chose to follow Christ yet, man, we, we welcome you into this moment to, to check it out and observe it around you and respect it around you. But because it wouldn't be authentic or appropriate for you to take it, just let those you know, elements pass by and, and just appreciate what's going on around you. Because we have a good intergenerational mix this morning, for parents, you need to be thinking, has my kid actually made a profession of faith? You want to lead them in this moment. You don't want them to lead you. Hey, I'm really hungry. Can I have that juice, Like, you know, and that cracker? No, it's like, this is a special time to celebrate Jesus. And if your child has not made that profession of faith, I would say, don't let them take it at this moment. But, but it might be a great conversation starter about needing Jesus that you can carry through on the car or on the way home. And for the rest of us, we're going to celebrate who Jesus is and what he did for us. I do want to say this for anyone who's either watching right now to take this in or for you in the room specifically, if you don't have that relationship with Christ, but you know today's the day you need to give your life to Christ, today's the day you're willing to surrender, this could be a beautiful moment for you because you could surrender and take the Lord's Supper at the first time. And so what I recommend for you, what I encourage you to do if if that's you today, that you're going to surrender your life to Christ as you're holding that cup, as you're holding that, that bread that you just tell the Lord what you just heard. Lord, I'm sinful. <laughs> I deserve your wrath. <laughs> I'm going to receive your wrath one day, but I heard today and I believe that Jesus came as my substitute and died on the cross for my sins. and He rose from the grave so I could have eternal life and new life. I believe that right now. I get to take these as an expression of my new belief. If that's you today, do that. I encourage you, that's a great way to, to kick off your relationship with God. But if you do that, please let us know so that we can follow up with you and tell you how to grow in this new relationship. All you got to do is take the cards that are in the chair in front of you and and fill that out and just just, just say, hey, I gave my life to Christ today. And in the offering baskets, put those in or maybe bring it up to us in person at the info center and say, hey, I gave my life to Christ today. And we'll just tell you how to grow. So so don't don't leave that part out because we want to follow up with you. So we're going to prepare our hearts right now to receive Lord's Supper together as a community, as a body. And then we're going to celebrate together. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for the sober reminder that we are sinners. Thank you that we can celebrate that you came and gave us new life and eternal life through Jesus being our substitute on the cross. Right now, this act of repeating what you commanded us to do to, to remember you in this moment, God, we, we do this with joy. We do this with almost mixed emotions, God, because we're, we're, we're grieved over our sins, Lord. We confess those to you. But yet, Lord, we're so grateful and so joyous that you came and died and rose so that we can have a relationship with you and be made right with you. God, I pray for those here today that for the first time are going to give their lives to you, for the first time they're going to surrender. God, let this be a decision that um, activates such an awareness in them, such an obedience in them to experience all you have. God, for the kids being able to do this with their parents today, just to... Great memory of participating in the Lord's Supper with mom and dad or family, siblings, and understanding what it means. So, God, this is a time where we reflect and we remember with great joy. In Jesus' name, we all said. Just take the elements when they come and just hold them. Just hold them, and I'll come back up afterwards and we'll take them together. my brothers and sisters in Christ, the body of Christ was beaten, it was bruised, it was opened, it was scarred. It should have been us. We should have taken every blow for every wrong thing we've done, for every wrong thing we've thought, for every time we've neglected to do the right thing. It should be us. And he stepped in as our substitute and he takes it. And so my brother and sister, we remember the body of Christ given for us. Take and eat. Every drop of blood that flowed from his body had divine power to atone for the sins of mankind, every drop. God the Father allowed God the Son to give his life, to shed his blood for our behalf so that we can be made right, so that we can be forgiven, so that we can have new life. You think about the little trinkety things that we make this life about, and the blood of Christ calls us back to the reality of what is, what should be so my brother and my sister, we remember the blood of Christ was poured out for us to give us new life, eternal life take and drink God, we just stand here laid bare Lord, you know all our names you know all our wrongdoings, you know what we're going to do wrong tomorrow (laughs) you already died for that and rose for that Lord, you know what we're going to do wrong next week, next month, next year, if you give us that long. You've already died and rose for that too. And so God, we come here and we celebrate you. We remember you, Lord. God, would you forgive us for just getting these blinders on our eyes becoming so worldly. Just giving our energy and our life and if you will, Lord, our very worship to the things of this world and getting our self-worth and our value and our joy from the things that fade in this life. God, write us. Correct us. Draw us closer and closer to you, Lord God. We want to be more like you. We want to live for you. God, help us to pray with passion for those who don't know you. God, give us courage to open our mouths and share the good news, the gospel, with those who don't know. God, may we live surrendered because you substituted yourself for our sin. So God, take our lives as gifts. Use them for your glory. God, take the gifts we're about to receive right now so that more people can know the good news here in Northeast Ohio and around the world. So God, we give you these gifts as well. We ask in Jesus' name, we all sit together, amen.